Hey, we're so excited that you joined us online at Galilee. We'd love to connect with you this week. If you would, fill out our online digital connect card. The link for that is in the description. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God has made a way for us to come to Him through Jesus. And that's good news. So join us as we worship our Heavenly Father.
it's good to sing about that. An honor, just a, an honor to be here and to gather in the name of Jesus and be led in worship by this great crew. Bless you guys. Hey, our middle school momentum, middle school students, if you are in here, uh, Blake's back there waiting on you. So middle school students, you can just jump up. It's okay. It won't be awkward. Jump up and head with Blake right there. Uh, I'd love for you to go. And uh, you're basically going to get this same message, uh, but in a way that will keep you awake better than I will. All right. So, hey, we are glad that you are here. We are glad that we have this opportunity to gather for the third part of this series as we just walk through the book of Ephesians together as a church. The Lord has already been teaching us so much, and he yet has more to teach us. We are just, my, my main goal this morning is to lift up grace before you, to just show you how beautiful it is, to present it before you, to lay it at your feet and say, look at this. Look at how amazing the grace of Jesus is. So will you pray with me that I might do exactly that? Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Be with us today, Lord, as we open your word. Teach us, guide us, make us more like you. Give us a heart that is open and ears that will hear. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Back in... 1779, there was a British pastor who published a book and was titled Only Hymns. It was named Only Hymns because their, their local uh, village was called Only. And it, it became, this, this book of Only Hymns, it became an immediate bestseller. But hymn number 41, which was entitled Faith's Review and Expectations, really was not very popular did not gain any significant notoriety. And in the midst of all those other hymns that were, you know, very popular and people were very excited about them because, again, this book, you know, was, was a sellout. It, it really failed to register. That hymn was really a hymn in many ways, hymn number 41, was a hymn without honor in its own country. But then that same hymn jumped shores to America many years later and it quickly rose in popularity. Somebody renamed it. We don't know exactly who. A music director in South Carolina put it to a new tune. And that, that happened in the 1850s. So, you know, almost 100 years later. They added some lyrics from African-American spiritual worship, which was awesome. And on December 10th, 1947, the, uh, the famous African-American singer, Mahalia Jackson, she recorded a version of that hymn. Eventually, that obscure hymn, Faith's Review and Expectations, became known as Amazing Grace. You know it. Most of you know it, of course, by heart. It's become what some people would call the spiritual national, I've actually heard it called, the spiritual national anthem of America. So its original author, that pastor and theologian, John Newton, he would be astonished that all these years later, this hymn has become what it was because after he wrote it, he kept a diary all those years of his life and he never mentions this hymn again throughout his life. Like it never comes up. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And I mean, how could it, you know, how couldn't it have become a thing with a title like Faith's Review and Expectations, <laughs> right? But isn't that, and I just want you to think about that for a minute. 
Isn't that often, because we would call that, hey, brother, you're burying the lead here, right? The lead is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. That's the lead. But how often do we, when it comes to grace, diminish it, fail to focus on it, fail to see it as something, yes, truly amazing. And I would just say that we're all guilty of it. We all have these seasons of our life, these moments of our life, time periods of our life where we are failing to gaze upon grace and see it as it truly is, something that is really and truly amazing. Because we end up focusing on other things, losing sight of how beautiful it is, losing sight of what a gift and a joy it is, losing sight of its amazingness. And so, as I told you, my only job this morning is I believe the Holy Spirit has led me. This is it. My only job this morning is to take grace and hold it up before you that you might see it. Maybe see it with new eyes. Maybe have yourself reawakened to its beauty. Sometimes just looking at something a little bit differently, put a new tune to it, change the title. And suddenly it becomes something more to us than it was before. Go with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter two. That's where we're gonna uh, basically be throughout this whole message. Ephesians two, one through 10. Because look, you could basically write this hymn from these 10 verses. So I am sure that this section of verses was influential for John Newton when he wrote. I'm sure it was throughout, you know, the, the Bible in its totality, but certainly these verses. Listen, listen to uh, what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So that's the problem, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions, a fancy word for sins, things you did wrong, right? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's when you were slave to Satan. You were slave to sin. You were far from God. All right? That's, that's what Paul's saying. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, you'll see a lot of people around you doing wrong. You'll see a lot of people that when you're trying to do right in your workplace, in your school, in your peer group, you're going to be trying to do right. They'll be doing wrong. And you'll say, well, sometimes it looks like they're having more fun than me. And that just is what it is. I can promise you one day you'll be having more fun than them. Listen, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. In other words, doing what it is we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, this makes God different than you and me because we are not rich in mercy, but he is, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, in order that in the coming ages, ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. His kindness to us is Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that none can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is so amazing about grace? Let me hold it up before you, church. Let me lift it up high. Grace is so amazing, firstly, because it saved you from sure and certain death. You were dead in your sin. And you know this feeling of feeling worthless. You know this feeling of feeling less than. You know this feeling of saying, you know, I I don't have value because I'm so messed up. I've messed up this way and that way and one way and the other. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We're all sinners, every single person. And when we commit sin, when we fall short of what we know God's standard is, it can make us feel worthless. It can make us feel low down. Because we say, and we apply rules to God that we apply to other human beings. I messed up, I did something really wrong to you. My expectation of how you're gonna feel towards me is that it's not, you're not gonna feel very good. You're not gonna really wanna have anything to do with me because look at how messed up I was towards you. Look at what I did to you. And I can expect, if anything, I just know you're gonna be upset with me, mad at me, angry with me, because that's probably how I'd feel towards you if you did the same thing. We apply this standard to other human beings. It's, it's in our nature. But that's not how God looks at you. You know, <laughs> this, this is the time of year, this time of year and the spring, where if your neighborhood is anything like mine, something happens about this time every year and, and in the spring, and it's yard sales. Yard sales or garage sales. And, you know, we get the signs out in our neighborhood and people put all their junk, I mean, their stuff out in front of their house and people can go and peruse all your junk, I mean, stuff. And so they go and and there's a couple of things I've noticed about yard sales that are always kind of funny to me. The first one is this, people will buy just about anything for the right price. They will buy like a bottle of spit if you give it to them at the price they want. Okay, I'm just saying they will. I've just noticed that. People will buy junk. People are like that. The other thing that that really intrigues me about this is that something is really only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's just how it works. You know, the funny thing about a yard sale, a garage sale is by the time you've hauled that stuff out, out of your house, like where is most of that stuff gonna end up that you don't sell? You're just gonna keep pushing it further towards the curb, hoping that somebody will come then take it for free. Like whatever it takes for me not to have to pick this up and carry this junk back into my house, right? I mean, that's how we all are. But the funny thing about all of it, right, is is that its value is ultimately determined by how much somebody wants it and what they're willing to pay for it. Here's the message I wanna remind you about when it comes to amazing grace, You are so deeply loved and valued that the Lord Jesus was willing to give everything for you. Think for me, think with me for just a moment on your worst day. 
the day you are most ashamed of, the day when you felt your worst in the sight of what you would think other people would think about you. Like if we could play it up here on the big screen, you'd be absolutely mortified. Your shame would be overwhelming. You'd get up and run out of the room. Think about that day. Now, will you remember that on that day, you were just as deeply loved and valued and a person of worth as you are on the day when you thought you got it done the best, when you thought you were at your best. That is the love of Christ for sinners. That's the love of Christ for you and me. And he proves this out in his word. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much you are worth. That's how he applies value and worth to you. When you feel at your worst, God says, I still love you. You are still valued. You still matter. And my grace is for you because I don't live the way you live. I don't think the way you think. I don't judge the way that you judge. My love for you is not dependent on your perfection. This is good news. You've been saved from death because you are a priceless, timeless work and child of God. And don't you forget it. Second reason grace is so amazing is that you have been saved by grace itself. Again, I've been talking about that, about how God's way is different. The prophet Isaiah tells us this, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. I don't operate the way you operate. My standards are way higher than yours, way higher than yours. But the way that I love you, the way that my care and concern is for you, it's also way higher than yours. And that's the difference. We've been saved by that kind of grace. Remember what verse four said? But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. You and I are not rich in mercy. I already laid it before you. Like we are generally gonna treat people the way they treat us. Now, not always, right? It's not an absolute rule. But generally, we are going to treat and respond to people the way that they treat and respond to us. I mean, most of the time, somebody doesn't come up to you and say, hey, how's it going? And shake your hand. You'd be like, shut up and punch them in the face, right? That's not generally what we're gonna do. It's, that's not our nature. We're gonna return good for good. Like, and you know, here's the thing. Returning good for good is like the easiest thing in the world. But the Bible makes clear and Jesus Christ himself taught us that we would love our enemies. And he taught us that so that we would be living our life like he does. Because I know you don't wanna think about yourself like this, but you were, when you were outside of a relationship with Christ, you were an enemy to God. Your sin made you, put you in opposition to God. 
And even in the midst of that, Jesus loved you while you were his enemy. And he made you his friend. This is the beautiful hope of the gospel and the beauty of grace. It's why I'm holding it up before you this morning. It is by grace you have been saved. You were dead in your transgressions, but now that grace has saved you. His mercy and his love saves us, redeems us. And all of this is because of God's grace, not because of how good I am. That, that's not it. It's, it's not because of how right I've gotten anything. It's because of how right he's gotten it. And listen, that's the very foundation of grace itself. It's mercy when it isn't deserved. And don't we love that, man? Don't, don't you love to get mercy when you don't deserve it? When you're in a moment where things go really wrong for you, or you make a boneheaded decision, like you're speeding and the police officer pulls you over and says, do you know why I pulled you over? And you're like, well, yeah, I was speeding. Like, you know, you know exactly why I pulled you over. And I'm definitely getting a ticket because I was, I was going, you know, 10 or 12 miles out over the speed limit or 15 or whatever. I'm, de I'm definitely guilty. I'm gonna get a ticket. And he's like, well, I'm gonna let you off with a warning today. That's grace. And you feel good when that happens. You just do, all of us do. You know, when you eat a carton of ice cream and you're like, well, I'm definitely gonna weigh five more pounds tomorrow. And you get on a scale in the morning, you're like, hey, it was only one, awesome. That was, that was not nearly as bad as I thought it was gonna be, right? Or you don't get like your lactose intolerance doesn't flare up, whatever it is. Whatever it is, you're just like, yes, this is a mercy. This is a gift. Feels great. That's just, that's, that's, that in and of itself is a grace-filled moment that blesses you. Or what about when you make the mistake of cutting somebody off in your car and you're so thankful that they don't respond to you the way you responded to the last person that did it to you? Right? Don't, aren't you just like, oh man, I know what I did when uh, somebody did that to me. I am so thankful because I just made the stupidest decision and they were still nice. They were kind. Friends, grace itself by very, its very definition is unmerited. That means undeserved favor. That, that's what it is. And when we receive it, we are always thankful to receive it. It's why when we slow down long enough and we lift our eyes and we look at grace like we're doing this morning as I'm holding it out there before you, it has the power, the ability to reawaken our hearts, to speak to us in ways that only grace can. It's because of grace that we don't get what we deserve. We get what we need. And that's good news, church. Because what I have earned with my sin is punishment. God could not, because he is just, he could not let sin go unpunished. As much as God is different from you and me in the way that he loves, he is as different in the way that he upholds justice. Justice must be served. And it was. Just not to you or 
by you. Justice was served in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. The wrath of God, rather than being poured out on the people who deserved it, the sinners, me and you, people that broke the will of God, the word of God, the path of God, it was poured out on Jesus that he might be the payment that would buy us our salvation. This is grace. And all of these definitions, all of this with me laying it before you is me doing what I know God wants me to do because I know what he wants grace to do. He wants us to look at it and say, I can't save myself. I can't do this on my own. I was dead in my sins and I'm still a sinner. And he could have left me to my own devices and said, good luck, go figure that out. But he didn't do that because of how much he loves us. He gave us unmerited, undeserved favor when what we deserved was punishment. Two of the great preachers of the 1900s in London, uh, one of them was Charles Spurgeon and there was another guy, Joseph Parker. You've probably heard of Spurgeon. You might not have heard of Parker. But again, they were well-known in their time. They both had large churches in London in the 19th century. And there was a time when Parker, one of the, the other preacher, he was commenting on the children that were coming into the orphanage that Spurgeon had started. Okay, are you with me on this story? Because you got to listen to this one. He was commenting on the kids that were coming in saying how poor their health was what poor quality health they were in as they were coming in. This got conveyed to the preacher Spurgeon who had started this orphanage as he was saying that the kids in the orphanage were in really bad shape. And so he took this personally. Like this preacher Parker was talking bad about him and the work they were trying to do at this orphanage for these kids because he was saying that they were, in, they were looking rough. And so that Sunday in his church, one of the most respected preachers who's ever preached, Spurgeon, stands up before his church and he blasts Parker. This is like some 19th century drama, y'all. That next Sunday, people showed up at Parker's church. And you know why they showed up at Parker's church? Because they're like, oh, let's wait and see what Parker's gonna do. Right, again, it's like a soap opera. Man, well, I wonder how he's gonna get back at Spurgeon. I bet he's gonna really let him have it. And Parker stands up before his church and he says, church, today, Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit, but today is the Sunday that they usually collect the money, the, all the offering from that day goes towards the orphanage. So I think what we ought to do in our church today is collect an offering for that orphanage. True story, the ushers had to refill the plates three times. Three times. As in Parker's church, rather than him blasting Spurgeon back, even though again, he had not done anything wrong. He wasn't talking about the condition of the kids in the orphanage. He was saying how badly they needed that help because of how rough kids had it in 19th century London. Instead of doing that, he said, let's take up an offering and bless that orphanage. 
And so later that week, there was a knock at Pastor Parker's study. And sure enough, it was Spurgeon. And he looked Parker in the eye and he said to him, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserve. You've given me what I needed. Grace, friends, it is so amazing. It is so sweet because God's grace is that very simple idea that with God's grace, we don't get what we deserve, but what we need. And what we need is a salvation that can only come through and by our Lord. That reason of grace, for grace, the reason I lift it up today, I'll remind you again, it goes even beyond our salvation. It's not just that we might receive grace and say, awesome, I really needed that. I'm glad I'm good to go. I'm gonna keep that to myself. Of course not. Another reason grace is so amazing is because it is meant to be lived out in your life. It is meant to be shared. As you have received, you freely give. You become a person that is continually influenced by grace and trying to influence the world around you by grace. You never, if you've really been confronted by the grace of God and it's really gotten a hold of your heart, what you will not ever really do is take that for granted over and over and over again and not care about it. Take it for granted in such a way that says, well, I'm not gonna worry about anybody else because at least I'm good to go. That just won't be what you can do. Your, your heart won't allow you to do that. Now, you might've been in a season where you've been doing that. And so today becomes a moment where grace has been lifted up before you that you might see it as amazing again. That you might have your heart and your mind reawakened. That grace might go from a boring title to something that is glorious in your sight all over again. And that you might really be overwhelmed by how amazing it is. Verse 10 speaks to our final point today. And it's what I just laid before you. You have been saved to live. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. His plan is his church. His plan is you, because you are his church. You are what he is doing in the world. You're his hands and feet. That, that almost has become so cliche. But... Lots of things that are cliche are really super duper true. And that is so very true. God is moving. Jesus is moving in and through your life, your actions, your words, the hope you convey and the way that you take amazing grace and don't just experience it in your own heart and keep it for yourself, but the way that you do what I'm trying to do this morning, which is hold it up and say, look at this. Look how grace got a hold of me and changed me and made me more than I could have ever been on my own. Look how Jesus loved me when I was at my worst. 
and he'll do the same for you. Look, this hymn, Amazing Grace, that the vast majority of us know by heart, I suspect that its author, I told you about him earlier, John Newton, I suspect that so much of this hymn was pretty easy for him to write. And I say that because in so many ways, this hymn was autobiographical. It was a story about what God had done for him. So it wasn't difficult to come up with. He needed a little help with the title, but it wasn't hard for him to come up with the hymn itself because he had experienced such unbelievable grace in his life. As a young man, he was raised as a Christian. Up until the point when he was about 12 years old, he was raised and walked with the Lord, followed God. But for him to write the words of amazing grace and say, that amazing grace saved a wretch like me? You know what? That means he felt like a wretch. A wretch is not a word we really use much anymore. But basically, its, it's definition is somebody awful. And he felt that. Because he was born into that respectable family, and like the prodigal son, he had squandered much of it away. By age 11, he was sailing the high seas with his father. And by the time Newton was 17, he had laid aside, as he, as he tells, every religious principle and abandoned himself, he said, to the service of the devil. He became a deserter. He was arrested as a common felon. At times throughout his life, he contemplated suicide. He began serving with the slave traders of Sierra Leone. And the shame of those actions that he committed during that season of his life, he said, it drove me to hide myself in the woods from the sight of strangers. He was so ashamed of himself, he became recluse. He believed, he said, he believed that my conduct, principles and heart were still darker than my outward condition. Did you hear that? My conduct, principles, and heart were still darker than my outward condition. As bad as I might have looked towards other people, as bad off as they thought I was, I was worse. You and I felt that sometimes. Because just like I said earlier, if we could play your worst day here on the big screen, you'd run screaming out of the room. Because of the shame of it. Because you'd say, I... I'm a wretch. It was March 10th, 1748. It was a violent storm as Newton was sailing those seas on one of those slaving ships. A storm as violent as could be broke across the ship and he said, it did not just break across the ship. That storm broke across me. He considered that day in so many ways his spiritual birthday because that was the day that God reawakened him to his presence. He said, I cried to the Lord with a cry like that of the ravens, which yet the Lord does not disdain to hear. And I remembered Jesus whom I had so often derided. It was 16 years later after that storm of the soul 
that Newton was ordained as a priest in the Church of England at Olney, England. Remember I told you his book they wrote was Olney Hymns. He wrote that, those hymns with the great hymn writer, a guy named William Cowper. They published the hymnal, and he wrote hymn number 41. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. On your worst day, on your worst day, God loved you as much as he does and did on your best day. And what ultimately is going to matter in your life is whether you submit to that beautiful clarion call of grace, being held up before you and saying, I accept. I've done nothing to earn it, but I accept. Yeah, but I don't have every area of my life right yet. I'm not living perfectly yet. And you won't. You're not ever going to be perfect. Oh, well, Nick, you better be careful with that because somebody will just think they can just do whatever they want and follow Jesus. No, because when a person is really confronted by grace, when grace really gets a hold of your heart and changes you, your desire becomes for the things of God. And when that's real and when that's authentic, you will not live like you used to live. You will not be comfortable with who you were. As a matter of fact, you will fight for what is right. You will stand on what is right. Newton not only wrote a great hymn, he not only stood before people and preached the word of God, Newton fought against and became a leading voice against the horrors of slavery of which he had once sailed the very boats for. Why? Because he was not who he was anymore. I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. And look, the beautiful news for you and me today is that because of grace, that can be true of you. Whether you are in this room or whether you are joining us in worship online, grace is available to you because of Jesus. It is unmerited, undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, but you can have it anyway. Sign me and my prayer is that you will receive the beautiful joy of grace this morning. If you're outside of a relationship with Jesus, I would just say to you, why? Why? I want you to share in the hope of Jesus that I know. I want you to know my Savior that has changed my everything. I am not who I was. I, I'm still a sinner. I fail all the time but I know I am loved and I know I am saved because of Jesus and what he's done because he found me of great worth and he has and he will do the same for you. If you will repent of your sin, which just means I'm gonna say I'm sorry to God. If you will believe in faith that Jesus is the Christ, if he is who we've been talking about him being all morning long, if you'll be baptized into Christ and become a new creation in him, your sins washed away, saved by your faith in Jesus, then you can have this unmerited favor of God. Whatever decision you might need to make, whatever way you might need prayer, we are here for you 
in any way we can be. We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing this song that a lot of us know by heart. I'm right here if we can help you.